Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com. Welcome to episode three of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. Now sleep, it is almost like the weather. It is a topic of conversation that most people can inject an observation or put in an opinion. You know, you had a great sleep last night or you haven't slept in days. The kids were up all night. These are phrases and often part of that water cooler conversation. Now, sometimes it's circumstance, but other times it's a major health issue and it does have some serious medical implications. And so today, Andrew Holmes is joining us. He is the founder of Sleep Efficiency, a sleep specialist. Great to have you back on board. Great to see you. Good to see you as well. Do you go to a dinner party and as soon as you tell people exactly what it is that you do, it's Mm -hmm. like everyone's in and they've got questions for you right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely right. I I remember right off the bat a personal story. We were camping and uh, we had probably about 10 or so families that were all with us and with their kids and stuff like that. And some of them already started to know, like knew what I do as a profession. Um, but gradually the conversation turns towards sleep because like you said, everybody can kind of relate to it. Everybody really sleeps and therefore has an opinion or, or can inject something. And by the end of it, it was kind of funny. My wife actually pointed out to me, I was sitting on one side and it was like, I had a panel <laughs> of all on the other side of the campfire that were just firing sleep questions mm-hmm. at me. I had a beer in my hand and I was okay with that because obviously we're camping, but uh, yeah, it, it, everybody um, wants to know more. There are so many different areas areas. Once upon a time, you know, people didn't really think anything was occurring when you were sleeping. And that's why kind of sleep is so fascinating because it's still constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. Only really since the late 70s have they started really, really doing any sort of proper testing. So yeah, it's, it's applicable to everyone and everybody can relate on, on some sort of level. You know, you were just mentioning that there's been such a growth in the industry of understanding exactly what happens when you're sleeping. So for you, what was it then that drew you to that aspect of where you wanted to focus, you know, your work uh, and your efforts as especially over the years and as you've grown with uh, the sleep consultant and the sleep efficiency? Um, Good question. I think it's something that's always interested me. Uh, I've always kind of had uh, an affinity towards it and just really trying to understand. I started off uh, at the Queensway Carlton Hospital about 15 years ago, and I wasn't in sleep. I was more in a supportive role. And uh, I really liked the environment of the hospital and working in healthcare. And then the healthcare uh, component aligned with sleep. And that's kind of really where I found my niche. I kind of fell into it when I was about 25, um, the age of 40 now. And yeah, I, I've, I've, uh, I've really enjoyed every piece of it because, again, there are approximately 72 or 73 different types of sleep disorders. And I know a little bit about all of them and a lot about most of them. So there's really everything from, um, you know, sleep apnea to parasomnia is where really strange things happen mm-hmm. when I sleep eating, for instance. You know, so there's, it can really be applicable to, to athletes in sports. It can be applicable to kids. And through doing many CTV live uh, segments over the years as well, I've kind of investigated them more thoroughly to be able to bring that content in and it's made me a well-rounded uh, sleep specialist now. Yeah. And trust me, when you walked into that CTV Morning Live studio and you had all of us there that are sleep deprived, yeah. you know, it would be like you would come in and we would, it was like you had this like um, like this angelic halo around <laughs> you, all of us trying to just get as much information because yeah. – 
that was one of the main reasons for me is I just, I had reached a point where I knew my body just couldn't sustain the lack of sleep. And you probably have dealt with more people just like me who are, are their lifestyle lends them to being able to have to realize sleep is a major component of what's not right. You're, you're, you're right. Um, we have to kind of get away from the stigma. You know, if we were to rewind 10 years ago, the person who came into work and said, oh, I only got three hours of sleep last night. I was up all working. Oh, that guy must be killing it in every area. He must be really doing well. He must be super productive. But it's actually the opposite that's starting to, to occur now. And people are starting to realize that, that if he'd actually gotten the recommended seven or eight or nine hours, his productivity would have gone up a thousand percent. Just because you're putting in more hours doesn't mean that those hours are effective for you. Mm -hmm. So if you get more hours and, and get the, you know, a more routine hours as well, like our body really craves routine sleep. Like, just like when we're kids, you know, kids um, crave routine. When I put one of my little guys to bed every night, I, he, I have to kiss his forehead like five times. You know, that's just routine and it's part of his bedtime routine. And truthfully, it was, it was when we get older, we really want to... Um, incorporate the, the same routines. And if it's a bedtime routine, such as, you know, having a warm bath and reading a book, turning down some of the uh, audio and visual cues that are in the house, dimming some of the lighting, uh, going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time. Your body really wants to, to have that routine implemented so it can wake up and feel refreshed. Uh, really, you should be waking up a few minutes before your alarm every single day if you're going to bed and getting up at the same time. Because what happens, sleep is all built on sleep cycles. And your body slowly t uh, tends to pull you into the lighter stages of sleep to make that transition into wakefulness uh, really easy in the morning. You talk about this routine, and it would be great if everyone was getting seven, eight, nine hours of sleep and falling asleep quite easily and getting up a couple minutes before the alarm. But what statistically are we seeing of people that are actually able to achieve that? And then how many of us are actually really either finding it difficult to get to sleep or are waking up in the middle of the night and they can't get back to sleep? I mean... A, an uninterrupted eight hour of sleep is like, the, a, you know, this miracle cure that so many people I think are, are looking for. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's it's not like you, our, our outside world impacts everything, right? So, you know, when you, when you were working uh, and getting up at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, that's very challenging for you because you have families that are coming, your families comes into play there. So again, what we really want to focus on here is, is getting the seven or eight, nine hours if you can, but also doing uh, simple techniques like sleep hygiene is what we've talked about in the past. And there are many different areas to that. And one of the main things was going to bed and getting up at the same time. But um, you may have problems falling asleep at night. So what you'd want to do is actually start to look at some of your behaviors throughout the course of the day that you're actually implementing. So caffeine, as I'm sipping a coffee right now, uh, you really want to avoid caffeine after 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, anything past that, it can really impact your ability to fall asleep at night. Uh, and if you're not falling asleep when you're supposed to be, then you're not getting as many hours as you potentially should be. A sleep that starts to accrue, uh, and then all of a sudden you're putting yourself in, in, a, in a bad spot for the next day. Exercise programs, for instance. Uh, I know you're a huge advocate of exercise. We should really shouldn't be um, exercising two hours before bed. Because what happens is is our sleep, our, our, we're looking for that that kind of unwinding and mm -hmm. that downtime to come into play with our bedtime routines. But if you're exercising, you're getting your heart rate right, right up there. Um, the, the general rule of thumb would be a two-hour window, nothing before that. You don't want to come home from the gym and expect to be able to fall asleep in, in a simple fashion. Uh, for other sleep hygiene techniques as well, um, exposing yourself to as much daylight as you potentially can throughout the course of the day. Uh, we are directly impacted by light 
and it's, it's involved with our circadian rhythm. So uh, our circadian rhythm is kind of a 24-hour sleep-wake cycle, and it determines when we're waking hours and when we get tired. And that is directly impacted by our exposure to light. Now, a lot of people have you know, their seven and a half or eight hour workday that they have to achieve. But if you're able to uh, have an office with windows, for instance, getting that exposure, going out on your lunch break, and even if it's, you know, minus 15 bundle up, expose yourself to as much light, because that in turn will enable you to fall asleep much easier at nighttime as well. Can I ask, as you're mentioning this, what happens with shift workers who would be almost on the opposite side of the spectrum yeah. and doing it the other way around? I mean, they've got to adapt in a much different way. They do. I, uh, so for some of my history, I did uh, almost ten, eight or nine years of solid overnights in the, in the sleep lab at the Queensway Carlton Hospital. Fantastic uh, lab to work in. Um, but what I used to say to people, they're like, oh, how do you get used to working nights all the time? I used to say, I get used to not getting used to it. So you just kind of adapt and you kind of make the best of it. I would go home at 6, 30, 7 o'clock in the morning. I would try and fall asleep right away. I tried doing a variety of different things. I actually went to the gym a little bit before and went get a, got a workout because at that particular time, I was staying up for my kids and helping my wife get them up in the morning and then they would leave. So it can be in a complete disarray. And and so many studies have shown now that shift work, it's just, it's not a good thing for you. Your body doesn't adapt. You can't expect to have healthy, um, a healthy overall lifestyle and well-being if you're constantly working shift, shift work. Okay. I'm assuming that there's going to be nurses, doctors, uh, firefighters, uh, policemen, uh, you know, typical shift workers listening to this. So yeah. are you saying you throw in the towel or is, is there a way for them to be able to feel like they're not being detrimental, but that there are ways that they can help themselves? Because we're going to talk a little bit about what symptoms, medical things and issues that happen later mm-hmm. on when you, when you're not getting the right sleep. Mm-hmm. So no, I'm not saying throw in the towel. Obviously we need all our support <laughs> services and things like that. Um, but again, what you want to do is, is maintain that continuity. Uh, again, your body's craving routine. So what I was trying to do when I was working on overnights, I tried going to bed as soon as I got home and whether that worked or not, or then I tried just going up a little bit later. I guess the best thing you can do is just maintain the exact same routine as, as much as you possibly can every single day. So if you're working overnight shifts and you get off at seven o'clock in the morning, then, you know, try and do that for the, the entire time. Go to sleep at seven thirty, eight o'clock as soon as you get home. I think your body really wants to, to sleep as soon as your shift is done. And again, if you're trying to sleep throughout the daytime, what you'd be looking to do then is to implement some, some blackout blinds, for instance. You want to shut down your external kind of um, light cues. So maybe blind or an eye fold and some earplugs to be able to, to shut some of those down. Let's go into what's happening uh, with the issues. And this is why your business has been so uh, has grown so much is that there are people with some serious sleep issues rather than just not getting that seven, eight hours uh, of sleep every night. What are some of the things that you're seeing as the symptoms? How do things evolve and get worse over time? And then what exactly are we seeing at the other end of the spectrum of these medical issues that are happening because of it? So the, the main kind, I'd say about 80, 85% of the people that come through our, through our doors are, have been referred due to um, excessive daytime sleepiness, morning headaches, uh, poor memory and concentration. Uh, and a lot of them are, are respiratory related. Sleep apnea, I think it's something like 80% of the public is underdiagnosed. Uh, there are indicators that, that you would want to start looking out for to see if you're at a potential risk. So sleep apnea essentially is, is pauses in our breathing while we're sleeping at night. And it can be happening just a couple times a night for a couple seconds, or it can be happening many times on an hourly basis. 
what actually happens is the muscle tissues in our upper airway cause these partial or complete blocks. And when that happens, when we have these pauses, these cessations of breathing, our oxygen levels start to go down. And when our oxygen levels go down, that's what puts a strain on our cardiovascular system. So our heart starts working harder and faster when we're sleeping than when we're just sitting here having a, a, a relaxed conversation. And so your, your increased risk for things like heart attack, stroke, congestive heart failure go up when, as, you, as you get older. Um, and so sleep apnea can be looked upon as like an enabler, you know. Um, people always say, well, can, can I die from sleep apnea? Not necessarily, but what it does is, again, it, it puts you at an increased risk for cardiovascular disease. The other portion of it as well is are the symptoms that come out of it on a day-to-day -day basis. So the excessive daytime fatigue, if you're a transport driver or if you're, you know, we talked about support services, police officers that are driving for 12-hour shifts, having to make critical decision and thinking. Um, we want to make sure that if they are having to sleep at irregular hours, at least the sleep that they're actually getting is, is quality. We want to make sure that, that they don't have any respiratory disturbances. So to kind of walk you through it, when we go to sleep at night, our body passes through a 90-minute sleep cycle. And if that happens, these sleep cycles happen about five or six times throughout the course of the night. And we start in, in our a kind of entry stages, which would be stage one and stage two. And what they do is basically allow our body to prepare for, for deeper sleep. Our body's core temperature drops, um, our heart rate slows a little bit, and our slow wave sleep, which is our, our deepest form of sleep, and our REM sleep, they really give your body back something. They really um, repair your body. So slow wave sleep and deep sleep is really responsible for muscle and uh, tissue regeneration. Mm -hmm. Growth hormone is released. So if we've done an, an exercise program, you've worked out super hard doing all the different uh, routines that you've been doing. When you go into your slow wave sleep, that's when your body physically repairs its strength. So it can get up the next day and actually feel like it can battle another round. Um, if, if once or sorry, once our slow wave sleep is finished, we then move into our REM sleep, which is our dream sleep. And that's responsible for our cognitive repair, our mental restoration. Um, memory consolidation takes place as, uh, at that time as well. So, you know, if you're sitting in a meeting later on today, and all the information that you absorb, how much sleep you do sleep, how much sleep you get tonight, and more importantly, how much REM sleep you get is going to impact your ability to retrieve that information tomorrow. So what can be happening here is if to put it, kind of put it all together, if you're having little respiratory disturbances that are occurring throughout the course of the night, mainly sleep apnea, you can be still sleeping, but you're spending more time in those lighter stages of sleep that we spoke about and not getting to the deeper, more restorative stages like your slow wave sleep and your REM sleep that you really need so you can wake up feeling strength uh, and, and, and alert. Okay. Would a person realize that they're dealing with sleep apnea? Like when you talk about, you know, not feeling, uh, waking up, that they've had a good night's rest, that they don't feel like they've gotten into that REM uh, sleep. When do they start to feel like something... Like, can you acknowledge that it's happening? How do you know that it's happening? So there, there'd be certain things you would look for. Um, again, excessive daytime sleepiness. And, and unfortunately, that's not always the best indicator because people's baseline can be so poor for so long. The, the person doesn't actually realize how poor quality their sleep is because that's just how they've woken up every day and they're like, oh, this is just how I'm supposed to feel. Well, they don't understand that, no, you, you're maybe you stop breathing 30, 40, 50 I've had patients that stop breathing over a hundred times per hour and they don't realize. And they don't know it. And, and they, they haven't, they think, oh yeah, I'm tired, but they, they have high blood pressure. There's a variety of different indicators. And all of a sudden we put them on some sort of therapy and, and the main therapy would be CPAP therapy or oral appliances. We can talk about that in a second. Um, but the, 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 the indicators would be again, daytime fatigue, morning headaches, 
poor memory and concentration, a lot of referrals come from partners as well. You know, they, they say you wake up gasping in the middle of, of the night or there's a pause and then there's a couple of big breaths. Um, so you, you really kind of want to listen to what your body is. There are markers as well. So there's a direct correlation between weight and sleep apnea. Um, if your neck circumference is larger than uh, 16 inches for males, 17 for females, or sorry, 17 for females, 16 for, for females, um, then th that would be an increased risk as well. There's a genetic component as well. So if you have family members that have been diagnosed with sleep apnea, that's something that you'd want to investigate as well. Um, so again, you, it, it's, we uh, at Sleep Efficiency, well, you offer take-home sleep studies. So we can basically rule out or rule that in in one quick overnight, overnight study to, to see if there's anything going on. Okay. When you talk about this study, I'm picturing, you know, a whole bunch of gadgets hooked up, this massive big machine, yeah. uh, you know, and I think th th there's a scary aspect of what you're, you're envisioning this look like. Mm -hmm. This looks like, what does this look like? It's, it's very simplistic. It's basically three components that you plug and play. Uh, hospitals are still kind of a, a gold standard if you're looking for a variety of, of different sleep disorders, seizure activity or something like that as well. Um, but with home sleep studies, they're it comes in, in basically what looks like a lunchbox, like a, a high-end lunchbox. There's a, a device that attaches to your chest, very similar to like a Holter monitor where we're monitoring heart activity. Um, we have a, a nasal cannula, which kind of goes around like an oxygen cannula. It's not blowing any air in or out. It's just simply monitoring your inspiration exhalation. The uh, device that rests on your chest is held on by a belt. It's monitoring your uh, respiratory efforts. So as you breathe in and out throughout the course of the night, your chest expands and contracts, and that's something that we measure. And also it has a little pulse oximeter. So three pieces basically to clip together. I've had 90-year-olds um, in my office that have had zero problems. You know, they Figuring may not it be able out. to the DVD player, but they've been <laughs> able to, to put, put it together. And they're incredibly accurate. They can determine what body position you're sleeping in. Some people are positional apneic. So we talked about uh, briefly what, what the potential um, treatments would be because these people who stop breathing, obviously, so many times per hour, they need to be treated. Unfortunately, there is no cure, uh, but there are treatments. In certain circumstances, significant weight loss has helped remove the apnea. Not always altogether, but maybe instead of stop, you, you have these pauses 30, 40 times per hour, now you're only breathing maybe four or five. So, And again, general weight loss is always a good thing, right? We're becoming an obese population. But the kind of the main three areas of treatment that you would look at, one would be CPAP, kind of has a negative stigma around it. You know, people are like, oh, it's a Darth Vader mask and, and you know, it's big and it's clunky. Uh, the machines are noisy. These are all the things they, they, that most, most of the feedback comes from. But if you were, that, that's probably true maybe 10, 15 years ago when like, uh, CPAP machines first came on the market, they have made incredible leaps and bounds. Once upon a time, there would be one mask that fits all, right? And your facial structure is different from mine. It's different from the next guy down the, down the hall. Um, so it's kind of evolved incredibly where they've maybe got 15 or 20 different masks to choose from now. Um, the machines are deadly quiet. Um, Philips is a, is a great uh, company that offers a, a CPAP system called a, a Dream Station. And you can't even hear it running. It's, it's deathly quiet. Uh, but what people may kind of say, well, no, well, no, I have one and it's, and it's noisy, it's disrupting. Well, you know what it probably is? It's probably a lousy mask fit. The air is potentially escaping and that's causing with the noises. So they've evolved incredibly. And what CPAP stands for, for, for people who are unaware, is continuous positive airway pressure. It simply takes a, a prescribed amount of air and passes it through the machine through a heated tube and it basically splints your upper airway. So I mentioned before how the muscle tissues in your upper airway are causing these partial complete blocks. CPAP therapy acts as kind of like a pneumatic splint. It gets, it keeps that upper airway open. It removes all those respiratory vents. It then allows you to get into your slow wave sleep and your REM sleep, giving you that quality that you need. Again, 
50, 60% compliance rate. It is kind of difficult. Picture, you know, you've gone 40, 50 years, 60 years, and all of a sudden you're telling somebody now, this is what you have to wear. This is your life sentence. They go, eh, not really, not really my thing. I'll deal without it. And again, creating awareness around the different therapies and, and how important it is and how we do need to look because of the cardiovascular implications is a key component. The secondary kind of approach to therapeutic um, uh, compliance would be oral appliances. So similar to bite guards, you know, where people, if people teeth grind, it's called bruxism. Yeah. They clench. And the amount of um, pounds per square inch you can actually exert when you're clenching, you could never do that in an awake state. So that's how tight these people are clenching. So it's a similar kind of concept with the oral appliances. Are we clenching because we're stressed? Are we? Why are we clenching in the first place? It's kind place? of a physiological kind of uh, response. So there's not a lot of research into the to the bruxing as well. That might be some of the dentists might have a better uh, mm-hmm. idea of that. Um, but the oral appliances are essentially designed to treat sleep apnea as well. And they're gaining a lot of momentum because what they actually do is draw you, you apply it like a, like a bite guard would, but uh, it draws your bottom jaw forward. And when your bottom jaw comes forward, your tongue is attached to it. And again, it splints and keeps that upper airway open, uh, um, basically keeping you breathing throughout the course of the night. So for those people that think that, oh, it's, it's, it's CPAP and I can never wear that, there are alternatives. Your dentist would have to determine whether or not you were a candidate. So they would. It, it's not something you could buy from like a shopper's home health or something like that. They are custom made. Now, the third area here, um, would be positional therapy. And this isn't applicable to everyone, but some people are much worse when they're on their back. You may know of, or have heard people that are there, obviously they're on their back and it's a thousand times worse. They're sawing logs. I get digs from my wife every now and again on a Friday or Saturday night sometimes. And it's like, sleep on your side, sleep on your side. So what ends up happening is gravity kind of kicks in at that point. And any excessive weight around your neck um, is going to cause those, those, the excessive snoring and potential apneas to be worse. So the home sleep testing devices that we use can actually determine, because it tells us when you're on your side uh, in, a, in a lateral position, it tells us when you're on your back, which is supine, and it tells us when you're prone on your stomach. And some people are really only apneic. They only have problems when they're on their back. So if we can implement side sleeping, and that's kind of an old school method of a, a tennis ball on the back of the t-shirt. You know, they've developed different T-shirts now where it's like a pool noodle cut into three pieces okay. and sewn into the back of the T-shirt. So when you try and roll, it, it won't let you. It doesn't want you. This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They are a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally as I've been using the Extension Marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com. So it's it's it could be down to a t-shirt it could <laughs> with be. some pool noodles. 20 bucks. 20 bucks and you're fixing yeah. and, and yeah. you could be finding that you're able to fix some of those issues, waking up feeling like a different person. For sure, for sure. A lot of the time... I don't want to say every single time, but a lot of the time the events are much worse on your back. Some people are still really bad when they're on their side as well. I'm not trying to say, hey, this is a one fix. Right. We have to determine, first of all, how many events you have on your back versus how many events you have on your side. Some people are, are horrible on their side as well, but we, we come across lots that, that can be solved with just a simple um, therapeutic t-shirt. So let me ask you a question because you were saying you've had people coming in who didn't realize that they were, you know a hundred times kind of having this stoppage and didn't realize just how often they were dealing with this during their sleep. What has the reaction been from them once they've figured out that they're dealing with this condition uh, and have made the changes? How are they feeling 
like months down the road right. having had what you know a good night's sleep so once they've gone on therapy and it, it depends how severe they are so the more severe they are the faster they respond to the therapy right if you've got somebody who's only having a few different breathing events per hour their their sleep is isn't optimal but it, it's not as bad as somebody who stops breathing breathing 30 40 50 60 times i remember when i was working in the sleep lab at uh, the queen's of hospital on overnights i had a, a gentleman that came in and he stopped breathing i think it was 80 90 times per hour his oxygen levels were going down to 50 60 percent they should be maintained in the 90 percent range so as i said before when your oxygen levels plummet that's your cardiovascular implications um and we implemented cpap therapy that night i explained to him he'd already consulted with the physician um and i explained to him kind of the process and what cpap therapy is and he was kind of reluctant um but sure enough he climatized and you have to understand as well when they come in they say well, how am i supposed to sleep with the mask on and in a hospital setting there's all these wires these people are so sleep deprived to begin with their body's craving it and they, mm-hmm. they just don't even realize it so the guy's head hit the pillow within about a few minutes he'd fallen asleep with a mask on and our job as as a technologist when i was in the lab was to find what that optimal pressure is so the amount of air let's say if you had sleep apnea the amount of air being blown through the mask for you would be different than what it would be for me if i had sleep apnea it is truly a prescription so we started um i started seeing the respiratory events occurring because we're monitoring right when we're looking at our screen we can see all the different respiratory events occurring and as these respiratory events occur uh we in our field we call it titrating them we start increasing the amount of air being blown through the mask until we slowly splint that airway this guy um, and his initial diagnostic could barely ever reach REM sleep because when he went into his REM sleep, there's a, a muscle atonia that takes over the body, which prevents you from acting out in your dreams and you become in the most relaxed state. Unfortunately, your upper airway becomes in the most relaxed state as well. And some people have the biggest and longest apneas when they're in their REM sleep and therefore their body says, hey, you're not allowed to be here. It's almost like so they're never even getting into a REM. Maybe a minute, gotta be sleep a snippet. Deprived. Wow. So what ended up happening, I started increasing the amount of air being blown through the mask. All of a sudden he hit REM and he, he went into, we call them REM rebounders because their body's been craving REM sleep and dream sleep for so long. He may not, he may have only had 10 or 15 minutes of REM per night when he should be having, you know, 20 minutes per each sleep cycle. He went into REM and they sit there and they soak it and they soak it and they soak it and they soak it. He woke up the next morning to make a long story short here. We probably had him on CPAP for about six or seven hours. He came out after I got him up, he sat up, he stood up and he put his arms around me and said, what the hell just happened? Like he, he was floored on, on what his sleep was. He's like, already he could feel how his body had reacted to it. He's like, I haven't, I, I dreamt. He's like, he, he was just starting to recount some of the different dreams. I'm like, whoa, you don't need to be telling me about details of your actual dreams. But he sat in his REM sleep all night long. He would go out every now and again, but because his body had been craving it for so much, it needed that. And so he came out and again, he was almost in tears because his body had been sleep deprived. It had poor quality and he was, he was sold immediately. Now that's not always the case for everybody, but that's one particular instance where he went on it. I guarantee you, he started feeling better. And this is something, Leanne, that, that would be a good thing to touch on. These people kind of who have sleep apnea, especially if it's weight related, they kind of get stuck in a rut where, you know, they want to go to the gym. They want to start working out but their sleep quality is so poor because they have undiagnosed sleep apnea, right? So they're, they do their day and they can barely get through their work day. How the hell are they supposed to, to get to the gym afterwards? They're so tired. And again, it's because their, their sleep is so miserable. So now all of a sudden we put them on a, a therapy, they're getting quality sleep. All of a sudden their energy levels soar. 
Now they've got the ability to go to the gym. Now they've got to be able to, to, to go for the brisk walk and do everything. They start eating. They start seeing results. And it starts trending their overall they health. They start wellness. losing some of the weight. Therefore, the weight's not on as they're sleeping as much. And this like it's like um, it's, it could be this domino effect. And they're just waiting for that first domino to fall. It is. It is. And through no fault of their own, they don't realize that one simple change by, by making sure that they're sleeping well and I can give them the energy they need to get to the gym to start trending everything in, in, in a much better fashion. It's, it's amazing to see and you hope that maybe this triggers in someone the issues that they may have seen occurring, kind of going, okay, let's maybe try something else. Maybe let's look into this as to what's the factor. And it's not just you know individuals that are doing this. You have companies, organizations, big companies that are looking to be able to see what is happening with their own employees uh, for um, you, know, you know to increase the productivity. And not only with corporations, but with sports organizations. And you're right now working with uh, the senators and with, uh, with OSEG to understand what's happening with the athletes for better performance. Yes. Um, so sleep and athletic performance, sleep is starting to be looked at as kind of like um, the missing ingredient in, in athletic performance. You know, high-end uh, athletes, elite athletes, um, they monitor, um, you know, nutrition. They monitor their exercise programs, calories in, calories out. Hydration is a big piece as well. Um, but sleep is now starting to gain momentum where it's been looked at as, as something that hasn't been addressed before. And so, you know, whether it's hockey players, I mean, they're, they're, you, if you take a look at what a hockey player's body look like, looks like, it's kind of vastly different from what a tennis player's looks like. A football player, um, even more so. You, some of the football players on the front line, the Toronto Argos and things like that, they're massive, right? They, they're 300 pounds plus. There was a stat that came out a little while ago where something like 60% of retired NFLers um, all have sleep apnea, massive thick necks. I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. neck, with the neck circumference. And these are big, big boys. And they're considered, considered elite athletes. So when you start looking at, at uh, sleep and athletic performance, there are um, areas that sleep directly impacts the elite athlete. One of them is improved reaction time, for instance. Um, with quality sleep and extended sleep. So we're kind of getting out of the sleep disorders here and just ac- accumulating more of it. Um, athletes also have rigorous kind of um, exercise regimes, right? Their output is a lot more than what mine is. Maybe not yours, because I know you're you're quite uh, healthy and fit. But they they put out a lot more in a day, so typically they should be getting more hours at night. So a reaction time is a big piece. How plays unfold in front of them can impact a, a variety of different things. Whether or not it's just just a simple goal that they miss out on if somebody's on defense or something like that, they weren't able to react to, uh, quickly enough, or it's avoiding a, a potential hit that they didn't see coming. Um, Reduced injury times obviously come out of that. So if you're able to react a lot faster, uh, you 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 avoid things that could be detrimental to your your playing career. So that speaks to longevity of your playing career as well. There are um, sprint times that have been um, increased as well. There was a study that was done out of Stanford University. Um, Sherry Ma conducted it, and they did, I think it was 12 um, varsity men's basketball players. And what they did is they measured the baseline stats on them when the average amount of sleep was somewhere about six to seven hours and they took their, their percentages from the free throw line, they took their three point percentages, they measured their sprint times, um, accuracy overall. And so that was kind of the average six to seven hours. And they got those baseline stats over a two to four week window. Then what she did is she said, okay, we're going to go and we're going to extend the sleep time with the target being 10 hours. Now they may not all 10 hours for a varsity athlete. Yes. 
How, this, <laughs> between living a varsity lifestyle, school education and training. Okay, how did she manage that? Well, it was a controlled test. Okay. Right? So she wasn't just grabbing one. This is what yeah. the, it was, it was research based, <laughs> of course. So what they did, again, not in a typical, you couldn't take an average team like that right. and be like, hey guys, yeah. everybody's got to do 10 hours. It's, we understand you have to operate with, within what's possible. But what's interesting are the stats that came out of it. So they did, uh, I believe it was six to eight weeks of 10 hours of sleep per night. They found that their free throw percentage went up 10%. Their uh, field goal from the three-point line went up, I think it was 8.5%. Their sprint times were almost a second and a half faster. And when you look at basketball, what's the score in a final game? It, it, you can watch the last two minutes because it's going to be decided by one basket. Mm-hmm. So now are you telling me that you can pr- improve everybody's free throw percentage by 10%? That's the difference between wins and losses, you know, let alone the sprint times to get to the ball faster than the free throw or the uh, field goals. So you can have an organization that buys into this, but you have <coughs> to have the athletes themselves buying into this. Yeah. And so, you know... Is it showing them the statistics based on, listen, that seven hours or that eight hours or that nine hours is going to increase performance? And, you know, there's a really good chance this shift in your training, like this isn't about your diet anymore. This isn't about getting an extra hour of practice time. This is actually about doing the opposite of giving your body more chance to recover itself while you're sleeping. A lot of this could be as simple as an extra hour a night's sleep is really going to enhance that athletic performance. So... When working with with the elite athletes, they're almost like soldiers, right? It's like when OCD behavior meets <laughs> genius uh, athletic ability, and they take that the, that direction and do it literally over and over and over again. All of them are looking for a competitive edge over over the next person. So yeah, really hitting them with with some of the stats, like I just told you from the the men's varsity. That's a it was a controlled test that actually proved what's possible. So when, when I've gone in and talked to the sends on many, many occasions, it's kind of like a Ted talk type format where we'll go in and it's nothing more than 20 minutes, but we say, Hey, listen, guys, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but I'm, I'm trying to tell you what's possible and just give them the information. Uh, nobody wants to kind of put their hand up in, 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 in a locker room type setting and, and isolate themselves in front of their, their peers and say, I've got a problem with, with this, or this, or this. Um, but generally giving them the overall education on what they can do to improve their overall sleep, to improve their overall performance. I uh, usually hang around afterwards as well after the talk's done. And then slowly, they, uh, if I'm sitting and have some lunch in with them, they'll come up and start asking questions one by one. And then it starts kind of like the locker room conversation amongst themselves as well, right? So um, just shedding a spotlight on it, giving them the educational piece that uh, that they need to, to, to take that information and start having conversations with each other really ends up... Um, giving them the, what they need. Yeah. Uh, right now you're going to have parents that are, have young athletes that they're trying to establish into good mm-hmm. routines and for them to understand, you know, what's possible if they're able to kind of get their schoolwork done get the right, you know, eating pattern in. How do you influence parents to try to be able to convince our kids, especially with their devices uh, that they need to turn it off? And, and I want to get onto the devices, the technology and how much of an influence that is really having and changing the way people are falling asleep mm-hmm. uh, and what the effects are going to be. So I'm a parent as, as you are as well. And we really have to kind of champion them in, in this kind of regard and, and, and tell them like my, with, with my own boys, getting the, the, first of all, the amount of sleep that they need. So when you're talking um, with adults, it's seven to nine hours. You know, if you're talking um, teenagers, there still need to be somewhere in like the nine to 11 hour range. When you're getting to uh, the school age children, 11, 12 hours as well. You really want to make sure that they're getting as much as they possibly can because it's impacting their ability to, to learn the next day. If they're sleep deprived and you have kids and you're sending them in, you know, like, oh, they, 
he's 10 years old, maybe only needs six, seven, eight hours worth of sleep, you're putting that kid at an automatic disadvantage. Um, and there are so many different things that are closely related to that, whether or not it's ADHD and things like that. Um, you really want to focus on the fact that, okay, we were going to be diligent with this. And you, you yourself have to kind of be a role model in many ways. Um, devices, as you said, are kind of ruling everything right now. Like, and I'm guilty of it as well. I have both my kids. I give them my old phones. Um, we deactivate everything and they use them as like mini tablets, essentially. And you look around, everybody is on it. So this kind of transfers back into a little bit of the sleep hygiene tactics that we were talking about earlier and, and really explaining to them that, okay, or maybe, maybe you don't even need to explain it if they're super young, but just removing certain things from their lives or limiting them uh, as well would, would do a, a great deal of, 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 of help. So with, with devices... What's actually happening um, is it's the blue light and the ambient light that comes from the devices, whether or not it's a cell phone, a tablet, a TV in the bedroom, actually, absolutely the, the worst thing you can possibly have. That ambient light actually um, delays the release of our melatonin. Melatonin is a sleep-inducing hormone and actually causes us to feel sleepy. So if you've got, if you're lying in bed at night and you've got a a device shining in your eyes, you're preventing that release of melatonin from happening. You're obviously stimulating, neurons are firing as well. You're, you're keeping that mind active when it should be doing the absolute opposite. So we've had people that come in and, you know, the parents think they're going to sleep. Oh no, we put, uh, we put Timmy to bed at nine o'clock. And once you start pushing them a little bit more, well, yeah, Timmy's in bed at nine, but his device is in there with them. And they're on social media platforms. They're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever they're using. Um, and they're they're communicating or they're even just simply watching videos. And now you realize that they're not going to bed till 11, 11.30. School times start very, very early as well. My kids' uh, school starts before 8 o'clock. I know it's varied across the city. But you really want to make sure that the devices are out of the bedroom. You know, um, maybe a good thing to do and what, what we do in our house is we have like a family charging station. You know, dining room table, okay, if everybody's bedtime is 9 o'clock, or for our kids or 8.30, then those all get plugged in around seven o'clock. We use that two hour window for exercise and everything else and, and not eating heavy meals two hours before bed. The same thing should start to apply for our, for our electronic devices, giving your hour, that yourself that two hour uh, window to pull away. Now, if you watch television, I'm, I'm not trying to tell people here you can't watch the, the evening news or something like that. What I'm telling you is, is basic. These are the, the best things you can do if you have problems with your sleep or if you're trying to instill really good habits in your kids as well. Okay. You listed a whole bunch of things right there, and I'm like, okay, devices are going to be one thing, and I think so many of us are used to having that blue light and then shutting it down and shutting off the phones and, and the tablets. But you mentioned melatonin, and I've heard a lot of people talking about this. Oh, just take a little bit of melatonin. Is this safe for us to do? Like, is it um, a placebo a little bit when we think we're taking some melatonin to help us into that get into a better night's sleep? What's your take on that? Um, I don't think there's a problem with it. I'm always uh, I always align myself with. You don't want to do anything that's going to become habitual. You know, you, you, there's nothing, there's no substitute for a good night's sleep in certain circumstances where, you know, if there's, there's, there's other things going on in your life, external stressors, maybe there's uh, things going on with your family or work related that's preventing you from falling asleep, then they can be used as an aid, right? But again, it should be looked at as kind of a short-term scenario. You don't want to be re re relying on something every single night. Again, there's nothing that your body wants more than just natural sleep. So if you know if you're if you've got all these different things that are occurring in your life, and maybe this is over a six-month window or something where 
you've gone through a divorce or there's been a death in the family or there's a job shift occurring and you can't switch your brain off at night, then yeah, if, if you want to start looking at melatonin as an option, I would think I'd say that's one of the better ones. And again, you should always be consulting with your family physician if you're going to making any, any kind of changes, you know, get that annual checkup, speak to them about, you know, may, maybe this would help, but maybe if we changed a couple other things, we wouldn't have to go that route. You right off the top, and it was we were talking about this very early on. But you you started to kind of talk about some of the major sleep issues, you know. But sleepwalking, can we hit on that a little bit? Uh, I know a lot of people don't realize that they're eating when they're yeah. sleeping. Like That's a crazy one. these are these are things that are less common. But I just want to hit on them a little bit so that for for those that might be dealing with some of this, that there's a passageway, there's an understanding of what is happening. How are they common? Not really. Um, they are for certain age groups. So what you talked about there, sleep eating, uh, sleepwalking, these are classes what we call parasomnia. So they're different from the other different types of sleep, sleep disorders. Parasomnia essentially means abnormal things that are happening throughout the course of the night. So uh, for sleepwalking, that usually blows out by your ages eight or nine. You shouldn't really have kids that are sleepwalking too, too long after that. We had uh, a gentleman that came into the sleep lab once upon a time and he uh, was diabetic. So he had brought to the, uh, the sleep lab a, uh, a foot-long sub, and he put it by the side of the bed. And I remember it was probably about 3 o'clock in the morning, and uh, I looked at my monitor, and I saw a bunch of activity that was occurring. Because uh, in the sleep lab, you're hooked up to a bunch of, uh, of, of um, head electrodes where we're monitoring EEG activity, because that's what tells us what different stages of sleep you're in. And so you could see a bunch of different activity. That, there was movement occurring. So I looked over, and I could see that he was in his slow wave sleep, which was that deep, deep sleep. Um, but he had sat up because we have them on camera as well. He was sat up and you still sleep. I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. And he proceeded to unwrap his sandwich and he knocked the whole thing out. He ate the whole sandwich and while he was actually sleeping the whole time and then laid back down as if it was nothing. And in the morning, he had kind of accused somebody like it was gone. You know, he's like, what happened? Like, he had no idea that this was occurring. Um, so... To catch something like that in a lab environment, because it isn't super common, to catch that in a lab environment it was pretty What was rare. his reaction? Uh, stunned disbelief. Uh, he's like, what? No. You know, I'm like, dude, we had you on camera. Like, we saw, I watched you. It was phenomenal. Watched you eat a foot-long sub. A foot-long sub like it was nothing. Um, so, unfortunately, you know, you kind of giggle at it, but if these people are living in their own homes and maybe they're living by themselves or even with a partner and they, they have this particular parasomnia, it can be quite dangerous. So this guy had a wrap sub that was made for him. There are accounts of people who get up in the middle of the night who will go and start prepping and chopping vegetables with a sharp knife. and they're Or they're switching on the oven or switching but on the But are they phone. really sleeping? Yeah. They're kind of in this transition piece that's kind of like a purgatory state where they're in between wake and, and sleep. And they, they, they're performing these complex tasks that can potentially put them at, at an increased risk for bodily harm, right? Imagine chopping vegetables. I can. And then think of the weight gain that comes too. If people are waking that's... up and eating ice cream, that's a, an easy one for people to go to. Ice cream tubs are being left out in the morning. They go, what? They, you know, if they're by themselves, they, they know that maybe it's them, but they don't recall it. So it's kind of, and again, there's a stigma that sits around that. You want to go ahead and tell somebody that you're eating ice cream in your sleep? Not the easiest conversation to have with, with your buddy. But it's something that you need to be aware of if you're if you're wondering what is happening. I mean, oftentimes you have someone else kind of saying you have no idea what you did last night, yeah. <laughs> or or you're on a monitor. But that's not often the case. Yeah, yeah. this is really uh, quite interesting. Have I missed anything? I'm I'm looking at this. I find it a, such a fascinating topic because it has such huge implications on the overall health. But if people aren't on top of it and don't realize how many issues, what are the long term effects that we could be seeing? 
Um, again, the cardiovascular complications, it depends on, on what the actual ailment is. You know, we've, we've talked about the, the different types of sleep disorders. We touched on a couple of the different ones. Um, you know, you're going to start um, putting your body through uh, unnecessary strain. And again, if, if you have sleep apnea, it would be the biggest one that people need to, to look at. We are becoming a society that's uh, older. We're living a lot longer. Um, and overweight, and even with our kids as well. You really want to start to look at to see if, if there's any apnea occurring because that's going to impact everything. You know, if you're not getting quality sleep, your, your eating habits are going to go up. You're not exercising properly. And overall, it's going to put a strain on our, on our overall healthcare system, but it's putting a strain on you as yourself. The, the epidemic that's going on right now with uh, childhood obesity in the States, they're saying this is the first generation that won't outlive their kids. So their eating habits are so poor. And to get uh, sleep studies done on some of these kids, the wait list is, is insane at CHEO. Um, we've absorbed some of them over at the Queen's of Chrome Hospital. So you really want to look and, and start making some proper lifestyle changes and, and looking um, something as simple as proper exercise, proper nutrition, uh, getting adequate sleep. Again, this would be like the, the trifecta there of the three different things you could potentially do to to make sure that your overall health and wellness goes up because they're all so, so closely knit. And how early would you start to say, listen, talk to the doctor, let's get in with a sleep specialist like you, mm. get this, the testing and the, the home kit to go home. How early can you start to look at studies like that or get people on board? You really want to listen to your body and what your body's telling you. So if you're having multiple awakenings throughout the course of night, some people are listening like, oh yeah, I get up and I go to the washroom four or five times. Well, you don't need to go to a washroom four or five times throughout the course of the night. The apneas are actually waking you up and then you're thinking to yourself, well, I might as well go for a quick bathroom break, right? So all of a sudden you treat the apnea. Now maybe you only need to use the bathroom once, but you're getting that's that continuous sleep. So again, listen to your body. If you have multiple awakenings throughout the course of the night, if you're waking up and you're, you say, hey, I'm getting seven or eight, nine hours like we talked about, but I'm still exhausted. If there is weight complications going, if there is a genetic component, um, all these the, the different things you want to start looking at. For, for your overall health. And again, we, we'd be happy to help people out. We can do this in the comfort of their own bed. It's one simple overnight study. Uh, and where we rule out or, or rule in, we've got a respirologist and a sleep physician that, that looks at all the results. That goes back to the family physician. And then they can take that piece, knowing that information, and start you know, attaching it to other areas that need to be improved in, in your overall health and wellness. If you're looking at this and thinking, I'd love to have some more information, the best place for you to go, uh, www.sleepefficiency.ca, some great information there. Uh, and maybe just one other checkpoint that you need to be looking at, uh, uh, looking at your overall health and maybe the small things that you can make the changes for. Andrew, thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining us on this podcast. And once again, that is the conclusion of episode three, Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, brought to you by Extension Marketing. looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.